Welcome back to the podcast. I love talking to today's guest. Pat Dossett is here. He is a former Navy SEAL and co-founder of Made For, a company that harnesses the power of science to build resilience in individuals and organizations through habit. So you know, if you've listened to my podcast or follow me at all, this is my jam, not necessarily Navy SEAL training, (laughs) but the idea that we can change, that we can create um, habits that we want and, and really take a hold of our life. So great conversation with made for co-founder and former Navy SEAL Pat Dossett. Check out their company, getmadefor.com. And I just encourage you to have a listen to so many things in this episode, because it really is like talking to him about the Navy SEAL training and how that applies to your daily life and how mindset ties into it all. This is the gold. Like this is what allows us as humans to make change, to show up differently and to really go after what we want. So I hope you all enjoy this episode with Pat Dawson. Hi, and welcome to the same 24 hours podcast. I'm Meredith Atwood, author of the book, The Year of No Nonsense. I'm a former attorney turned writer, speaker, and Ironman triathlete. Although right now, all I really like to do is lift weights. We all have the same 24 hours, but it's what we do in those hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. It's my goal to crack the code on a life of less nonsense so we can all make the most of our 24 hours. So let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm excited to talk to Pat Dossett today or Dorset. Which one are we going with? <laughs> we'll, we'll subtract the R today. <laughs> That's right. Well, good to see you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Excited for the uh, conversation. Yeah, I was telling you um, before we got started that you had a great um, Instagram or blog. I don't know where I found it, but I want to start with this idea because it's so relevant right now that there's this finish line, there's this somewhere we're going. And when we get there, everything will be great. Or, you know, we just got to get through this. And I thought that was such a great place to start because we're definitely in the post (laughs) post or pre or mid pandemic. I don't even know where we are, but it's definitely the (laughs) sense of when this, whatever this is, is done. Um, But a lot of us live there, right. In this whole like finish line mindset. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a it's a it's a fun place to start the conversation. I think finish lines can be really valuable for people if they inspire you to act and to um, change what you're doing today uh, because you're excited about where you're going in the future. But I think oftentimes people can set these finish lines out there that hey, I just need to hold on a little bit longer and. Once I arrive at this destination, whether it's post-COVID or um, whatever the challenge is that you find yourself having to navigate, that um, having that finish line oftentimes is an illusion, right? We're not going to, there's not going to be this clear line where, okay, we're done with COVID and we're on to the next thing, or we're, you know, we're, we've escaped and we're out of this. There's going to be a new challenge that surfaces. And if we're so focused on these finish lines, um, oftentimes we lose sight of the things that we can do here and today and the wins that we're generating and, and how we're showing up today. Um, and 
what I proposed in that in what I wrote is that by focusing on the wins, you get you get additional certainty, you get control, and you get capacity to handle whatever challenges come your way. So that the finish line almost becomes irrelevant. It's something that yeah. we pay less attention to because, again, it's it's in, in many ways an illusion. So yeah, I love that. So let's rewind a little bit and talk yeah. about your list of wins because you've got quite a life resume <laughs> and you, you've done a lot. And so let's give everyone just kind of the, the quick, who is Pat and, and what are you up to now? Yeah. So um, the short story on me, um, grew up in Texas. Uh, I read a book in seventh grade about the SEAL teams and that really excited me about pursuing that profession. And I was fortunate enough out of high school to get an appointment to the US Naval Academy. And again, was fortunate out of the academy to get, to get a slot to SEAL training, spent just over nine years in the SEAL teams and um, ended up transitioning out because I knew at some point I wanted to have a family and I couldn't see how I would do that and do the job at the same time. And so um, spent a couple of years in graduate school at University of Pennsylvania, and then spent a couple of years at Google, and then ultimately left Google to start a company which I run now, which is made for, which is designed a company, behavioral science company designed to help people shift their behaviors and mindsets in uh, positive and lasting ways. Yeah, that was an excellent summary for a lot of life. <laughs> <laughs> And then I was a Navy SEAL and then I worked at Google and now I'm, yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, so what did the Navy SEALs, like, what did you expect going into that? Did it match exceed, like you hear it about the SEALs and you have a certain mindset, right? Well, you went through yeah. it. So did that match? Was it that much more difficult, harder than you thought it was like, what was that? like as a young person. Yeah, you know, I think whether it's the the SEAL teams or any new job or um, I'm a parent now, I've got 18 month old, a 19 month old twin girls. And I think prior to going into something new, we always have these expectations of how it's going to be, what's going to be good, what's going to be challenging. And the expectations are rarely matched by the experience. And so in my time in the SEAL teams, um, there were definitely things that pushed me far outside my comfort zone, which I didn't expect. There were things that I thought were going to be really hard that ended up not being difficult. But, um, you know, one of the, I would say one of the big surprises for me is, especially as I, as I was going through training, and I've talked about this in the past, my training class, we started with 220 people. Um, this is at, at Bud's basic underwater demolition school. Five weeks into training, we were down to 150. Um, and week six, we were down to 36. And then uh, we ended up graduating 17 of the original students that started with that class. And so 220 to 150 to 36 to 17, it's kind of like, all right, what's, what's going on here? Um, and the thing that struck me that just that really left a profound impact on me was that those 17 people that were there at the end were rather unremarkable. You wouldn't have been able to pick them out from a lineup. There was nothing that there weren't these people that had, you know, God given talents or that, you know, innate abilities where you said, Hey, this person looks the part, they're definitely going to make it. And in fact, most of the biggest, fastest, strongest people, those that you would say, Hey, that person's right at a central casting. They're absolutely going to be a seal they were some of the first ones to go away. And so what you were left with these 17 people, again, rather unremarkable, but had a mindset that um, 
that allowed them to push their brains and bodies to places that um, we wouldn't expect one to be able to do. And so this, that's important, uh, you know, just uh, an appreciation for how important mindset is and how important some very basic practices are to performance and performing at a really high level is something that surprised me. It, I did not appreciate that going in. I always thought that, um, you know, seals were just different and, yeah. and I really, I really hope I have what it takes, but, uh, that couldn't be further from the truth. So, so when you were in that, and I definitely want to connect this because obviously made for is, is built in this mindset world too. Um, but when you were in it and you were watching the, the numbers mm -hmm. <laughs> decrease, was there something in you like, what was your mindset? Because obviously you had the mindset to, to stick it out. Was it a conscious decision? Was it just who you were? Um, it, was there a moment where you thought, okay, I have to get this straight or what did you go into it straight? Like talk about the mindset journey. Cause I feel like there's some people that come into the world with just mindset and they're like, they're set. Right. And then some of us, me <laughs> have to work to change it and to enforce it every single day. And so where yeah. were you in that and kind of let's transition into how that went into the work with made for. Yeah, no, it's a great question. So I think mindset is something that's forged every day, right? Um, it's, we can have certain predispositions and we can have clarity about bigger intentions or visions that we want to achieve. And the more clear we are about what we want to do and why it's important to us or why it's worth our pursuit, um, the easier it is to rally um, a mindset that can allow you to endure a lot to achieve what you're trying to achieve. Um, but that said, I think, again, mindset is something that gets forged every day and how you show up. And one of the things that I leaned on going through SEAL training and a number of my, my, my friends and former teammates did as well, is this ability to move the, we call the horizon or the finish line to a place that seems manageable and that you feel um, confident that you can be in pursuit of. And so, you know, you take, you take a week of training like Hell Week where you're awake for five and a half days, you're cold and you're wet. Um, the whole time you're running around, it's very physical. Um, when Hell Week starts, it's unlike any physical event that you've ever done because typically if you're a triathlete or you're, a, um, you're running a marathon or you have some physical event, you're doing everything perfectly leading up to that event. So you show up your best on that day, right? You've got your food dialed, you've got your rest dialed, you ideally have all the right clothes and equipment and you've done the training and everything is perfect and you're peaking on that day. Well, going into hell week, you are, most of the class is sick. They've got some form of low grade pneumonia from the previous five weeks of training. Um, most of the class has some form of overuse injuries, knees, backs, shoulders, shins. Um, you have been, you've been sequestered for two days leading up to hell week and told that at any point we could start. So you've been on edge and not really sleeping oh for the last gosh, two days. Oh my gosh, really? Yeah. And so, so you start this and you, you're or like, you're not in a great headspace. And then in the first five minutes, it's loud and, and there's, you know, there's, it's a, it's, they call it breakout. It's this loud, um, uh, high energy event and you get really cold very quickly. You're running around doing all these things and you think to yourself, Oh my God, I'm tired. Uh, I'm broken. I'm sick. I'm beat up. I'm cold. I'm exhausted. And we're five minutes into a five and a half day event. Like there's no way, like, how can, how can I even process that? And so I remember very distinctly in that first five minutes, hearing people 
ring the bell. We have this bell that follows us around or going through training, ringing the bell saying like, I can't do it. There's, there's nothing I can, there, there's no way. And what they had done was allow the enormity of the event at hand to try to process that all at once. Right. It just yeah. became overwhelming and they, and they just, they, they cracked this. I got to ring the bell. Um, what the people that were successful through that did was said, okay, uh, I'm miserable and cold and tired and all these things right now, but I can't even think about five map days. That's too much. Where, what can I pull that? Can I pull that horizon and closer to where I feel confident in being pursued of? And so at some points in training, that is, I can make it to the next meal. At some points it's, I can make it through this day. At other times, if you're running somewhere with a boat on your head, it's, I can look up 20 meters in front of me and I'm pretty sure I can make it the next 20 meters. And then once I get there, I'll reassess. And so you're constantly playing this game of, of, of shifting um, that horizon to a place again, that feels manageable, but that you can be in pursuit of. And then once you get there, you reassess. So yeah. that's just a small, you know, something that, and everyone has this ability, this, this, that we control these horizons, but um, it's a small thing that we leveraged over the course of training. And then repeating that process over time, you start to forge a more resilient mindset, you increase your capacity to handle stress and navigate uncertainty. And so that's yeah. how I think about it. Oh gosh, there's so much there that is just life. I mean, you adopt that mindset for your life. I mean, I deal um, with clients in the realm of addiction. I'm five years sober. And, you know, the one day at a time mantra is, is so valuable. Cause if you think, oh my gosh, how am I going to be sober for the rest of my life? Like it will become too much. And so you're like, well, I'll just drink. Cause this is too much. Yeah. Um, or, you know, how do, when I was doing Ironman, I used to always just take it swim, bike, run. Like mm -hmm. when I'm swimming, oh, when I swim, I'll be done. And I would always get out of the water and be like, wow, I'm done. And then I would be like, oh, wait, there's a bike, you know? And I would have this <laughs> moment where I was like, oh no, I have to do that. And I'm like, oh, well, just do the bike. And so I would just do the bike and I'd be like, I did it. And then I would go, oh, there's a marathon. Oh my God. And I literally <laughs> would have these genuine moments of surprise that I had to do the next thing, but then it really was just breaking it up. And then when I was on the bike, it's like, okay, 10 more miles, 10 more miles, 10 more miles. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's the only reason, cause I was not remarkable. Like when you, when you talked about lining up your class, like if you lined up, up 250 triathletes and said, who's not going to make it? Like I've been the first <laughs> pick, you know, like the, who's the little fat girl who thinks she can do an Ironman. I'm like, I got this, you know, but it was that. And I think that really hit home when you said that, because it was mindset. I mean, mm -hmm. I was prepared physically, but it was my brain that got me to, to the finish line for sure. Uh, 100%. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah I think it's your, your point around, um, that this is not just applicable to the SEALs, I think is, is a great one. And it's something that I've just grown more appreciative over the last couple of years in, in building made for and serving our members is that um, people sensationalize SEAL training and they hold it up in this really high pedestal. And there's no question it's difficult, um, but there is something different about SEAL training and what we see our members going through and what everyone across the country is going through right now. And that is in SEAL training, that bell is always with you. You always have the option to ring that bell and be done and get warm and get donuts and get some sleep or whatnot. But in life, there's no bell, right? And so we are, we have to find ways to navigate stress and uncertainty and um, oftentimes very, um, you know, blurry finish lines, if there is such thing as a finish line, but it's hard and there's no way to like, there's no way to ring out of this. And I know certainly for me over the course of the last year, running a business, 
having young twin girls. Uh, my wife is pregnant, doing a couple of weeks. She's been on bed rest. It's a lot. And I find myself, you know, I don't want people to think that seals are immune from stress and all these things, but I find myself leveraging those same, uh, that same practice even today. What can I get through in the next, you know, what's, can I get through this meal with my girls? Can I get into bedtime? Can I do just these little things so that, um, yeah, so that I feel that I can continue sometimes. So well, it's so right. funny because I we I have a twelve and a thirteen year old. They're fourteen months apart, so almost Irish twins, but not real twins, mm-hmm. but close. Um, but last night, our son, who's thirteen, he said, "Well, are you going to tuck me in?" And I was like, "Dude, it's been thirteen years. Can you tuck yourself in tonight?" You know, and he <laughs> he's like, "What?" And I said, "Let me do this math for you real quick." And I was like, "That's four thousand five hundred and fifty tuck-ins. <laughs> Double it with your sister. That's nine thousand tuck-ins." Oh, and his man. eyes got real big and I was like, okay, fine, I'll go tuck you in. Cause I mean, he's 13. He's not going to always want to be, but I just thought for a minute, if someone had told me back in yeah. 2006, before you had kids, that you were going to tuck in 9,000 times. I'd have been like, what? <laughs> like, no way. No, thank you. No way. And then like, if you start to think about diapers, like, cause I did not go through the potty. Tra- I mean, I potty trained my kids, but I just waited till they were like, we want underwear. We're done. So my son was almost four. <laughs> And my daughter was three because I just said, you know what? They're not going to go to college in diapers. <laughs> It'll work <laughs> itself out because I just couldn't envision the stress of potty training two kids that were like a year apart. And so it was so funny because <laughs> I don't know how many diapers we went through, but one day my daughter, who was three, she's like, I think I'm done with these diapers. And my son, wow. who was four, said, oh, me too. And I swear to you, they were done. And wow. so when parents tell me, like, I don't know how we're going to get through this potty train, I'm like, just let it go. <laughs> they won't go to kindergarten in diapers. But all of that to say that when we, I think the fear that so many of us feel about pain is that it's mm. never going to stop. Mm-hmm. And so like so much of the SEAL mentality or, or Ironman training or raising children is this is just a moment. Mm-hmm. It will not last forever. Like even the worst will not last forever. And as humans, that mindset of telling ourselves, okay, this is, this is just where we are mm-hmm. at this moment. And it won't be like this forever. My kids will not go to college in diapers. <laughs> they will not, I, you know, um, but how much of that, like w- in your experience, what is, what are people afraid of? Like, other than like the, the, is it being stuck in the pain? Is it the, is it change? Like, what is the fear that you pick up on um, that people most most fear? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I think there's a couple of things. One, um, is that people feel, um, uh, people are afraid of change. Uh, and, and oftentimes they, you know, if you're experiencing something that uh, a change or a transition and, and you're still finding out how to best navigate that you project that out to infinity and you say, oh, well, it's always going to be this way. I'm always going to be like, I'm never going to have what I had, or I'm never going to be able to relax again or be happy again. And so we have this thing where we project out into the future with high degree of confidence that I'm always going to be experiencing this discomfort. Um, and so to your point around the you know, ability to recognize that everything is passing and, and it's just a matter of time, it's going to pass and a new thing's going to surface is important. But I think the other thing is that people feel um, like they 
that they're not capable, that they don't, they're not able to exert control um, or that they're not able to affect change that they want to see. Um, yeah. And I think this, this toggling between uncertainty and stress and projecting out into the future that it's always going to be this way matched with this idea that um, we're not capable of changing or that we're not capable of achieving what we want to achieve, I think oftentimes um, is a root of what a lot of people experience when they're having discomfort um, or they're stressed or anxious. Yeah. And so um, that's why, you know, it's one of the reasons why at Made For and, and what I've seen in the, in the teams people focus on is like, what are the positive things that are happening right now? And how can we identify and lean into and embrace um, the things that are within our control and the wins that we're able to generate so that we build capacity, uh, we build resilience in the face of stress and uncertainty, that we're not waiting for relief so that we can feel better, but rather how can we get better through this process, I think is something that is, uh, is really important. And I think it's, it's important for everyone to hear that or, or to internalize that these aren't big things that you have to do. There are small things that you can do and that you're already doing. If you just pay attention to them, uh, bring some awareness around them, then they can help serve you and buffer you and allow you to show up um, better for yourself and those that you care most about. Yeah. Well, obviously I have a small idea of where the idea for made for came from. I mean, obviously with your background and, and your, your belief system, but what was the moment that you said, okay, this is what we're going to do and, and who's involved and let's like, tell us about made for and, and the, the beginnings of it and where, where you are in, at now. Yeah. So I, the, um, there are a lot of things that a, a lot of threads that intersect, um, to help made for come to life, but maybe there were a couple of defining moments. One was, um, my, my friend and co-founder Blake McCoskey, um, founder of Tom shoes and I were on a, on a trip together and he asked a group of us, he said, you know, if, if you could work on anything, a pure passion project, what would you want to work on? Um, and, and went around the table and when it got to me, I said, you know, there's, there's something about this idea of human potential um, and performance and um, that I'm really interested in. Like, how can you help people realize that they're capable of far more than they think they're capable of? Because I've seen it in the teams and I think, um, I think that's a cool place to work. And Blake was super excited about it and said, hey, let's figure this out. And so a couple of weeks later, we were together again and started working on different ideas. And we really just aligned on this mission of if we can help people show up better in their lives for themselves, then that in turn is going to make everyone they come in contact with better. And it's ultimately going to make the world a better place. And Blake's a mission-driven guy, as, a, as am I. And so we got excited about that, but we didn't really know what form that was going to take. And it wasn't until um, I brought on another friend, Dr. Andrew Huberman, a neuroscientist out of Stanford, that we started getting real clarity around what um, what we were building and the form factor of it and how it was going to come to life. So with Andrew and John Rady and Evelyn Triboli and Sam Rattar and all of these different uh, world-class experts and scientists in their fields, we started bringing together a team and asking the team, if you could isolate and distill large bodies of evidence uh, and research um, and say, this is the one small thing that someone should do um, that they could easily fit into their day, um, what would you recommend? And so from those recommendations and from uh, their various fields of research, we built made for. And it's, it, it's interesting, it sits at the intersection of 
you know, cognitive neuroscience, how can rewire, how can we rewire our brain and brain as a proxy for cultivating mindsets and habits and, you know, different um, behaviors and things that we do um, in enduring and lasting ways. Um, behavioral science, why we do what we do and how we can make that process easier. Physiology, how the brain and the body work and um, positive psychology, which is this field that's been designed around, came out of the work by a gentleman named Dr. Martin Seligman, uh, or he's been the, the champion of this for a long time, uh, which focuses on what are the positive things that we can be in pursuit of? And he, and prior to, prior to Dr. Selman coming along, he said, you know, the field of psychology is focused on downside risk and harm reduction and how we avoid certain behaviors and habits and things. And he said, that's fine, but that's only one side of the equation. The other side is what are the positive things that we can be in pursuit of um, small you know, whether they're mindsets we cultivate or steps that we take or things that we can change in our environment that allow us to grow what's good inside us. And that to me resonated. And, and so it's baked into the program as well. So alongside all these experts, we, we built and designed made for, which is a, a 10 month program of small positive steps that, you know, we have science, the tools, steps and support uh, to help people shift their mindsets and behaviors in lasting positive ways. And so what's the magic with 10 months? I'm sure that had a, that had a reason, like not a year, not six months, like what's 10. Yeah, we were, we actually, um, when we started, we were saying, all right, let's make this a year because people can wrap their head around it. Um, but as we started pressure testing, testing different ideas, we could only, we kept, um, we kept ending up with 10. So each month it made for focuses on one very basic foundational practice, something that you're already doing, but we engage it in a, in a different manner. And so, you know, things like hydration, gratitude, rest, nutrition, movement, breath, uh, nature, social connection, all things that we intuitively know are good for us. But for one reason or another, we've grown disconnected from our capacity to engage them and the benefits they can provide. And so, um, you know, something that, uh, something else I want to add is, our program is um, is offline, so it's an offline first program. Meaning, all the steps that we ask people to take are are done off of screens and devices, and there's no apps. And there's a very important reason why we did this, and it's because if I have to look to something on my wrist or a phone or an app or a screen to tell me how I'm performing or feeling or showing up, then I've missed a critical step. And that critical step is what we work on and made for, which is understanding the cues and signals that your body is sending you and how best you can serve those uh, and leverage your most powerful technology, which is inside you, how you can leverage that to maximum effect, so. Wow, yes. I mean, that's, that's the distinction. So if someone was to say, okay, so what makes this different from any other program? Like that's huge, what you just said. And also from what I read, you really hone in on, in the 10 months, each month is solidifying a practice. Mm -hmm. And to, you know, cause I know I should meditate. I know when I have meditated, my life is better. Um, I am in a brat phase right now where you can't make me like <laughs> for no other reason. Like, I'm just like, you can't make me meditate. And yeah. I do this and I know, right. And so the self-awareness I've developed over the last couple of years has me talking to myself going, okay, you're being a brat about this, but what will you do? Okay. I will write in my five minute journal and I will yeah. be grateful. And so I'm like, okay, I will do that. I still roll my eyes. Cause I just go through these phases where I'm, I just can't be bothered, which is why I was an addict for 20 years. <laughs> and I got up to 280 pounds. Like, let's be real. 
Um, but it's interesting how just journaling five mm. minutes yeah. for the last month has changed my life, you know, mm. and I'm like, what a surprise. Oh my gosh. <laughs> how amazing. I know this is true. Right. Yeah, and so yeah. I, what I love about your 10 month program is that you really, I mean, it seems like it proves the point that, you know, each of these things is so vital to our existence, our growth, mm. our life, our calm. Mm. Um, so we really can't argue with ourselves. Cause I've done the meditation. I, I did it for months and months and months, twice a day. I have that in my arsenal and I know, like I have the proof mm -hmm. for some reason we have to be, we have to prove <laughs> that this works. Yeah. And even if you're not doing it, you know, it's there and you know, yeah. you know, you could be doing it. And I think that so many times when we're stuck, it's because we've just been throwing everything at the, at the wall, mm. a little bit here, a little bit there, but none of it has proved to work. Yeah. And so does that make sense? Like that? Yeah, that, no, it, yeah. It, it totally, it totally resonates. And I, I think, um, you know, one of the reasons why our members have such a great experience with made for is that I think people are accustomed to whether they're meeting with their doctor or they're meeting wh whatever the, whatever it is, but they're accustomed to people saying, I have the answers, do this and, and everything will be fine. Everything's going to work out. And that is not what we do at made for rather we guide people through these 10 different areas of focus. And we give them some, some tools and some, uh, some processes to engage these areas of focus, but ultimately it's on the individual, right? That some people are going to really benefit a lot from some months and maybe other months aren't gonna be their jam and that's fine. But this idea that um, wellness or well-being or you know, the state of flourishing, it's an individual, um, it's an individual pursuit. And uh, what's right for you is gonna be different than what's right for me. But what we've seen time and time again is that by helping people play the long game and, and not rush from fad to fad or, or jump in and out of different practices, but by doing these small steps over time, uh, people navigate to what their unique and right solution is. So that you might know that, hey, breath, breathing or meditation, whatever, works well for me, but actually I get more out of this gratitude practice, or I get more out of when I move my body and I pay attention to my breath while I'm moving. And then I write a reflection on it. Like you have a right. unique way of, of navigating this, that that's right for you. And so, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's fun to watch people connect the dots in uniquely relevant ways as they go through the program. Um, I would say that you know, while we each month focuses on one thing, there are some really powerful through lines of the program. And one of them is this idea of helping our members cultivate um, a growth mindset or a more resilient mindset. And so th there's a lot of research that from the a woman named uh, Dr. Carol Dweck who, yeah. who coined this term growth mindset, but this idea that that friction that you're feeling is not a sign of your inability to be successful, but rather a sign of this is what progress feels like. And so mm. we continue to help our members focus on that, but also recognize like, look, we're human, life gets a vote, you're going to get knocked off course, but it's the manner in which you get back on course that matters most. And so um, there are some some really powerful through lines or undercurrents uh, across all the months at May 4 that, um, that uh, seem to resonate really well and be helpful for members too. So yeah, and one thing you said that kind of rung a bell in my head, 
not a Navy SEAL bill, a different bill, um, was, you know, the things that we do, the things that we will do, those are the answers. You know, maybe you should, you know, should is such a bad word, but maybe you should meditate for two hours a day, but if you won't do it, it doesn't matter, you know? So if you will journal, but you won't meditate, then the journaling that's, you do that consistently, right? It's about building a list or a practice of things you actually will do because that's when you string together consistency. It's not a list of things you should do that you won't. That's it. Yeah. I think that that's, that's so spot on. And, and this idea of let's focus on process and, and the outcomes take care of themselves. But if we focus on the outcomes, um, Oftentimes we never we never get to where we want to go, or we get discouraged when we we experience setbacks or things don't work out the, quite the way that we want. So right, right. Yeah. All right. Well, tell everyone how they can find you and and take part in this amazing journey because really it sounds very unique. It sounds very powerful, and I I think you might have sold one today because <laughs> I <laughs> I mean you know I just I love well first of all I love um, I love growth. Uh, I just love it all. So this sounds like something different and, and just really intriguing. So tell everyone where they can find out more. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So you can, um, you can find us on the internet at uh, www.getmadefor.com, G-E-T-M-A-D-E-F-O-R.com. Um, you can find us on Instagram at madefor, or if you want to follow me, um, I think I'm at made for underscore Pat. Um, yeah. So I post stuff from there from time to time, but the, the, what we open the conversation with this idea of finish lines and um, focusing on the certainty of wins. I think I posted that on our perspective um, section yeah. of our website. So if you go to our website and you hit on perspectives, there's a whole bunch of stuff that um, we put up there, both from our advisors and members and, and myself. And that's a good way to, to get to know more about us and what we're doing. So. Awesome. Well, Pat, thank you so much for this time. This was awesome. Yeah, I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks so much for having me, Meredith. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining me on this episode of The Same 24 Hours. Remember to rate, review, and share this podcast. It really matters. I appreciate it. See you next time.